Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. After he entered the Pharisee's home, he took his place at the table. Meanwhile, a woman from the city, a sinner, discovered that Jesus was dining in the Pharisee's house. She brought perfumed oil in a vase made of alabaster. Standing behind him at his feet and crying, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured the oil on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw what was happening, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. He would know that she is a sinner. Jesus replied, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, speak, he said. A certain lender had two debtors. One owed enough money to pay 500 people for a day's work. The other owed enough money for 50. When they couldn't pay, the lender forgave the debts of both of them. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the largest debt canceled. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? When I entered your home, you didn't give me water for my feet. But she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has poured perfumed oil on my feet. This is why I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven, so she has shown great love. The one one who is forgiven little loves, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other table guests began to say among themselves, who is this person that even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And this is the word of God for the people of God. There was a a phase of my ministry when I was traveling a, a lot. I know some of you travel for work frequently. That's not as common for pastors, but I was quite a bit. I was the campus minister at FSU. But for about three years, I also had the the job of overseeing campus ministry on on all of our campuses in Florida. Uh, So I was on the road a lot, um, going back and forth to Tallahassee. Uh, And two places that I seemed to be going to a lot during that phase was Lakeland, where our conference, United Methodist Conference office is, and Miami, where the University of Miami is, and we were starting a new ministry at Florida International University. Well, I got in this habit, I would stay at the same hotels. It just was easier, just call the same one, uh, make another reservation. Um, and one particular month, uh, I had to be both in Lakeland and in Miami, uh, stay in a hotel. And for some reason, in both locations, I arrived a little bit later than I usually would. And in both hotels, uh, the person behind the desk said the same thing to me in the same month. I walk in with my suitcase, and both times they said, there you are, we've been waiting for you, we were starting to worry, which immediately felt a little creepy. 
like, you know, my name. But then there was another part of me that like, wow, that's kind of nice. To feel recognized, right? To feel welcome, to feel wanted, that my arrival mattered, that I in some way mattered to them. Now, I had the opposite experience this week. Um, I used to eat at Moe's all the time, but it's just a little out of my uh, path now. So I haven't eaten Moe's probably since before the pandemic, but I just happened to be near one this week. I pull in, and Moe's is famous. When you walk in the door, the employees all say, you know it, right? I walked in the door, and there was silence, just, just silence. And I didn't even notice it at first. Uh, but I walk up to the counter and I place my order and I noticed everybody behind the counter, there were numerous, all had t-shirts that said, welcome to Moe's. It was on their t-shirt. And then I noticed while this woman was taking my order and preparing it, and I should note, did not seem to love her job. Someone came to the door and she, she's making my thing and she looks at her, welcome to Moe's. Nobody else said it, and I don't think anybody but me could have heard her say it, right? She, she said the words, but it didn't communicate welcome, right? She went through the motion. She, she did what she supposedly is supposed to do. For these three weeks, starting last week, today we're in week two, we're talking about biblical hospitality, biblical hospitality. Now, when we think of hospitality, we think of all the ways that we welcome somebody and make them feel at home, right? That that you're wanted here. It's as simple as as a greeting, as a handshake, as as a smile. Sometimes it's a grander gesture. Sit down, let me get you a cup of coffee or a cookie or something else or lots of cookies, right? Hospitality, right, is how we make someone feel welcome. We said last week that it has to start with an invitation that just opening our doors wide isn't the same as hospitality because people may not know that they're welcome here. We have to invite someone to say, we want you to come. But today we are talking about that step. They've they've come, right? They've arrived. How do we make people feel welcome and wanted? Last week, I shared a story of some of my work in Guatemala that I had been there numerous times before anyone ever invited me into a home. And that was something I was looking forward to. Now, I I go into homes all the time when I visit there. But the the first time we went to this particular village, um, I honestly wasn't sure they wanted us to be there at all. Uh, Nobody was unfriendly. Nobody was unkind. They just kind of treated us at arm's length, if, if you will. You now, there's major cultural differences, major language differences. We were strangers and strange to them in a, in a way. I'll tell you more about that some other time. Uh, so, you know, I understood it, but I just wasn't sure do they really want us here. Well, a year later, we went back to the same village, and the day we arrived, getting off of the bus, we walked into the church, and the entire floor of the church, if you can imagine, was covered in a fresh layer of thick pine needles. They'd just been pulled out of trees recently. They're pungent in their aroma. And that is a Mayan tradition of welcome. It's like rolling out the red carpet for an honored guest. It was a way to communicate to us beyond language, we're really glad you're here. We're really glad that you came back. What makes you feel welcome? When you go to someplace new, what, what can people do to make you feel welcome 
and wanted in that space? What, what actions, what words make you feel like you matter, that you've been remembered, that you're known, that you're valued? A handshake, a smile, a little conversation. What is it? Now, here's the thing that I want us to kind of focus on today. Genuine, heartfelt welcome begins with, starts with, is, is based in the way that we recognize the honor and dignity due every person. That all of us, every single person is a reflection of, made in the image of, the likeness of God. Christine Pohl, who's a biblical scholar in the area of biblical hospitality, says every person is worthy of respect because of the work of God in them and for them. Say that again. Every person is worthy of respect because of the work of God in them and for them. So we know when you go to a hotel, when you go to a restaurant, there's sort of a, a profit motive for offering good hospitality, right? You want your paying guests to feel welcome because you want them to come be paying guests again, right? Our motive's a little different, right? Our motive for offering hospitality and greeting people is because of who they are in Christ, It's treating everyone as an honored guest because everyone is an honored guest. A moment ago, John read a passage of scripture for us, a story from the life of Jesus. It's fairly famous. It appears in, in different ways in all four gospels. And really, it's not a story about hospitality. It's a story about grace and forgiveness But pay attention to the way the story goes because the whole story is wrapped in hospitality like you'd get wrapped up in a blanket. Jesus is invited to the home of a man named Simon who's a Pharisee. Now, there were some exceptions, but for the most part, Jesus and the Pharisees got along how? Not very well. There, There was always a lot of conflict. So it's very unlikely that Simon was the exception and thought, well, I'll invite Jesus over and see if we can strike up a friendship. Likely, he was trying to get an opportunity to scrutinize Jesus, to get in a conversation where he could trap Jesus or trick Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly what, you know, the house, how the house was laid out or, or where the dinner was taking place. But somehow, in the midst of this dinner, a woman enters who clearly is not invited, clearly not wanted, referred to as a sinful woman, so someone of reputation. Somehow, she gets into the dinner party, goes to Jesus' feet, and starts kissing his feet, starts crying on his feet, so much so that she actually can wash his feet in the tears and then she dries his, his feet with her long hair, right? This is a pretty intimate moment. Jesus, the guest that probably is about to get scrutinized by Simon, and this woman who has a reputation and isn't welcome in this home. You can, are you picking up the scene here? It's a, it's a kind of an unusual moment. Well, Simon is thinking to himself, silently we would assume, If this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. He would know that she's a sinner. Now, in the mind of a Pharisee, if someone is a sinner, what do you do? You shun them. 
You condemn them. And even over the summer, remember we talked in Acts about the importance of, of being clean or unclean? She's a sinner. She's clearly unclean. We don't know what her sin is. We can make some guesses. But, but she's unclean. And now Jesus is letting him, her touch him in the most kind of intimate kind of way. And so Simon is judging. What kind of man is this Jesus? Clearly not a holy man. If he would let something like this happen. Well, Jesus, of course, knows what Simon is thinking. And so he tells a little story. He says, a certain lender had two debtors. One owed enough money to pay 500 people for a day's work. The other owed enough money for 50. So you get the difference, right? One could pay 500 people for a day's work. One could pay 50 for a day's work. And both are paying with borrowed money. Well, the lender says it's time to pay up, but I'm going to forgive your debts. So Jesus says, Simon, which of the debtors will love their lender more? Follow the question? The one who owes 500 uh, days wages or one who owes 50 days wages? Who's going to love the lender more? What's the answer? The 500, right? He owes more, right? Simon says that. I suppose the one who had the largest debt canceled. Jesus replies, you have judged correctly. Then Jesus turns to this woman at his feet and says, Simon, do you see this woman? When I entered your home, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's poured perfumed oil on my feet. This is why I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven, so she has shown great love. The one who is forgiven little loves little. And of course, Jesus forgives her sin. And they say, who, who is this who has the authority to forgive sins? This is a story about grace and forgiveness. And clearly, Simon and the Pharisee had no grace nor forgiveness to give. Like That was not part of his theological construct, right? He believed in a God that judges sin, condemns sin. If Jesus supposedly was from God, he should be doing the same. Now I want you to think for a moment of the, of the vast difference of social status between Simon and this sinful woman. To be a Pharisee in Jesus' day meant you had money, it meant you had power, it meant you had esteem, right? In the eyes of the, the community, you had a certain amount of prestige. But this, this woman is a nobody, Nobody with a bad reputation, if that makes any sense, right? She, she's been cast aside. Her only value is, is whatever it is that, that, that made her a sinful person. Think of the vast difference between these two individuals. That difference also reflects the difference in their attitude and their approach to Jesus. And we don't know this from the beginning of the story until we get into it a little bit. But apparently, when Jesus arrived at the home of Simon, Simon didn't extend all of the normal, customary expressions of hospitality. In those days, it was common when you went to someone's home for a dinner that your feet would be washed. Remember, they had dirty roads and they, had, they wore sandals, right? And so it was a kind of a customary thing when you enter somebody's home that your feet would be washed, or at least you would be given water and a towel to wash your own feet. 
Simon didn't offer either to Jesus. Clearly, he had the ability to offer that. He didn't offer either. And yet this woman washes Jesus' feet with her tears and wipes them with her hair. Normally, when you arrived in a home in Jewish society, someone would kiss you on the cheek. That's how they greeted one another. Paul would refer to it as the kiss of peace, right? Apparently, Simon did not embrace or kiss Jesus, possibly because he decided Jesus was unclean. But this woman arrives, and Jesus says, from my arrival to this moment, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. And then she takes it even one step further. She anoints his feet with oil, even more hospitality than Simon had shown. Simon did the minimum. When Jesus arrived, he said, welcome to Moses." right? He just did the minimum, right? He didn't do anything to make Jesus feel like, we are glad you're here. You are an esteemed guest in my home. But the woman did. So what's the difference? Here you have a man of power and influence, but he obviously looks at Jesus as having no power or influence, of having no significance, and he treated him as such. And here is this no one, the sinful woman condemned in the eyes of Simon, not welcome in his home, who treats Jesus as Jesus deserves to be treated because she knows who he is. She recognizes who he is. Simon's actions reflect that his heart is closed to Jesus. In his lack of hospitality, he's communicating I really don't want you here. But the woman, by her actions, is reflecting that her heart is wide open, that Jesus is the one with the power to forgive. Father Daniel Holman, in a book called Radical Hospitality, writes, Hospitality requires not grand gestures, but open hearts. Now, there was nothing particularly grand about this woman's gestures, just a little bit of tears, like a little bit of hair, a few kisses, but they were grand in their expression, weren't they? They were grand in their intent. They all reflected who she knew, knew Jesus was and that her heart was open to him. Simon, not so much. What's the message for us? What do we take from this story? The way we welcome people, the way we show hospitality or not reflects the degree our hearts are open to others. When we greet a guest, we're saying to them, you matter. I see you. There's a place for you here. There's a place in my heart. I'm glad you're with us. And when we don't greet our guests well, we might very well be communicating to them, you don't matter here. There's no place for you here. I could care less whether you take up space in this, in this church or not, right? Now, none of us have that in our hearts, but sometimes our actions or lack of may be communicating exactly that. Now, listen, I know we're coming out of COVID and social distancing, and we all feel a little socially awkward. I know it's hard to get here by 9.30, and so we're all kind of rushing in to find our seats. I know our first, you know, excitement is to see a friend. I know that we know other people are introverted, and we don't want to, you know, get in their space. I know that. 
But a smile, a nod, I'm glad you're here, goes a long way, doesn't it? Doesn't it? And if we don't, what are we communicating? Father Holman uh, was a Benedictine monk. He's the one I just quoted. Uh, Benedictine monks, the Benedictine order, is one of the oldest of the Catholic monastic orders. It was one of the very first to write a rule of life, kind of a code of conduct. Uh, Benedict himself wrote it. Um, And in their rule of life, which has become really sort of the basis for all convents and, and monasteries and the way they conduct themselves, central to how they were going to function together was how they offered hospitality to strangers. Written in the rule of life, Benedict said, let everyone that comes be received as Christ. Now, now notice the phrase there. Let everyone who comes be received as Christ, not like Christ. It'd be one thing to say, listen, folks, we're going to treat everybody like Jesus when they walk in the door whether we think they are or not. But that's not what the Bible says. Remember Jesus said, I was a stranger and you welcomed me? And then his disciples said, when did we ever see you a stranger and welcome you? And he said, whenever you did it, for the least of these, you were doing it for me. Every stranger who walks in our door is Christ. Let everyone be received as Christ. Similarly, in our tradition, John Wesley, our founder, once wrote, a poor wretch cries out to me for alms, meaning money for assistance, help. Poor wretch cries out to me for alms. I look and I see him covered in dirt and rags. But through these, I see one that has an immortal spirit made to know and love and dwell with God to eternity. I look through the rags, I look through the dirt, I look through the smell, I look through the pressure to give money, or I look through and I see someone with an immortal spirit made to know and love and dwell with God to eternity. What if we looked at people that way? And I don't just mean guests come to church. What if we just as Christians got in that habit of looking at everyone as somebody with an immortal spirit, someone loved by God? That's a lot to carry into every interaction. What difference it might make as we look at the person standing in front of us in line at the grocery store, right? Or the person that's driving near us that's irritating us by the way they're driving. Or the person who happens to sit near us on Sunday morning that just needs to be greeted. Frank Laubach was a a missionary to uh, um, Portugal. Not Portugal, Philippines. uh, In the early 20th century, worked in the area of literacy, Uh, but was devoutly spiritual. And he developed for his own use what he called the game of minutes, based on what Paul taught as pray without ceasing. Like He took that seriously. How do I pray without ceasing? So he came up with a game of minutes. He wanted to think about Jesus at least once every minute. So he created these little games he would play to, to just kind of trigger the thought of Jesus. And one of those, he put a little sign next to his telephone, old landline, and it said, the next person who calls is a child of God. So every time he would pick up his phone, he would see this little sign. The person I'm talking to is a child of God. And that's true, by the way. So is it with everybody who walks through our door? So is it everyone who's sitting near you this morning? Everyone is a child of God. It's true about you too, by the way. 
When I was in high school, uh, my in 1980s, uh, my dad brought home a, a little plaque from his office that said something like, you only have one chance to make a first impression. He was in a not so subtle way communicating with me that he didn't appreciate my 1980s hairstyle. <laughs> now, his plaque did not achieve its desired result. I did not go get a haircut. Um, I had more 1980s hairstyles after that. Um, but, but, the, but the phrase stuck with me. You've heard it before, right? We only have one chance to make a first impression. It's true, right? It's hard to undo a negative first impression. When we think about welcoming, specifically about welcoming people to First Church, when do people get a first impression of us? For some, it's, it's just hearing our reputation in town, hearing how people talk about us. For some, it's looking at our website or our Facebook page. That's their first impression of us. Uh, for others, it's when they come, right? They finally made, so I think I'm going to try that church out. Their first impression is how hard it is to park downtown. <laughs> Where is that darn parking garage? Or navigating our elevators. What floor do I get off on here, right? Does worship on the second floor, the third floor, the fourth floor? We don't have a fourth floor. Where, where is it, right? Or is there someone there to greet them and answer that question? How do I find the nursery? How do I find the bathroom? That can be important, right? Or, or maybe it's how well I'm greeted at the door. Did somebody hand me a bulletin? Did somebody say good morning? Did someone smile at me? Did somebody help me find a seat if I wasn't sure where to go? Here's my point. Long before, not, not momentarily before, long before we sing the first song, long before we say the call to worship, long before the preacher gets up to preach, long before first impressions are already made. It's really hard to undo a first impression. What kind of first impression do we want to make? As we think about welcoming people into our church family, what first impressions as a way, as a way of welcoming them do we want to offer? And I think it starts with this. How do you want to be welcomed? How do you want to be treated? When you need help, what kind of assistance are you looking for? You want to be treated with decency and respect? kindness? Don't we all? So how are we? How are we going to do that when we're the host extending hospitality and welcome to others? Let's pray. So Lord, help us. Help us to welcome others as you welcome us. Help, help us to welcome others as we would hope to welcome you. Help us, Lord, to, to see past the surface level what we might think is sinful or, or just uncomfortable, what, what we might normally judge and push away from. Help us to see past that, to see that every single person, regardless of age or status in our society or success or failure, that every person is loved by you redeemed by your grace, made in your image and likeness. Give us eyes to see and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. 
If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.